Good evening, and you've tuned in to NPR Station, where our upcoming show is a stream of random with your host, Hacker Mike. Hey guys, 4th of August. And I'm sure you've really missed because I haven't produced a show, I think, in two days. And you might be wondering what the hell I'm doing. Well, I've been catching up on my sleep. I had a tooth operation, was recovering from that, and I thought I'd rather get some extra sleep than risk stressing out my body. Now, Gino Akaro would never, ever skip a day, and he has no excuses for it. You have lost your will to work. You have lost the strength in mind, body, and soul to show up for work and workouts. You have retired early. You have settled for the rocking chair of life. You have officially dropped out. Takeout matters more than working out. Drive-through takes over your inner drive. The rest drive by like you're sitting still. You let yourself go instead of go let yourself in. It all starts the first time you FTA, fail to appear, not showing up for work not showing up for workouts. Just one FTA makes the second FTA easier. Left unchecked, a chain of non-events builds. Nothing eventful happens, nothing eventful is achieved. Not showing up for work becomes a lifestyle, even if you physically do show up for work. Not showing up in mind and soul, if you show up in body, makes you the same team liability is not showing up at all. But I have been busy with baby and life has been happening. The other day, I think it was Sunday, I also I missed a day because I couldn't um, edit the show on time. So I skipped one day and I pushed the show out late. But what I did the other day is I took the last all four episodes from season three. So I renamed all the edited shows to be season three, but I kept the episode number 4112 because I like having the high numbers. So season three means the show's been edited. And I refrained from posting the unedited show, even because I wanted to get it out there, but I didn't want to compromise on my new high standards. And even listening to 4112, I heard that I didn't complete the editing job. And even the last show, I think the 416, had too much noise filtering, which also reduced my voice a little bit. So I won't do that anymore. And I also noticed I'm heavily breathing while I'm talking as well. But what the hell? There's only so much I can do. So I'm getting deep into no-till gardening, mycorrhizal networks, and fungus in general. The latest Tim Ferriss show has a lady has an NGO dedicated to fungus. And she said that the common ancestor between life and fungi is a self-propelled cell like a sperm with a tail, with a flagella. And that's our common ancestor, she says and lichen are interesting. Also what I learned, and I will put links in the show notes, is that there is a brokerage system, there's like a trading system between the fungus. There's an exchange rate that goes on between the fungus and the plants. And if you, if you give your plant too much nitrogen, then it won't ask for stuff from the fungus, the mycorrhizal, and that will, I have to give you guys links to all these, all these things that I found. Keyword, on YouTube was search for mycorrhizal networks complex and I found quite the good hits on that. So I'll be putting links in the show notes because I have show notes. So if you click on the episode page, you'll find a link to the blog 
If you go to anchor.fm slash STRE, you'll find a link to the blog, and the blog will contain, for each episode, a link back to the episode and show notes, which have spelling mistakes and aren't the greatest, but I'll work on that, and I'll work on my, my writing skills as well. This is going to be a good experiment for me to improve my skills, my communication skills, which are lacking. Pull like tape. So I went to Google, I went to YouTube and appealed my invention one more time and I explained them everything and quickly, quickly, quickly they said no. They would not appeal it. They would not reinstate my account, that I have a lifelong ban. And I explained to them everything. Four episodes in it, it's an hour and a half. It's all edited. Might not be the best episode, but this quadruple episode so I'm asking you, listeners, I never really ask you for much. I'm not asking you for money. What I am asking you is that can you please take this video that I created and share it on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, on wherever social media you have. That's my wish. And I thought really hard about this, that I haven't really been getting the traction that I want. And for the longest time I said I didn't care. So I guess that is what I deserve. And it's not easy. What else we're going to do is we're going to create some promo swaps. Do some more work on getting the message out. The latest episode is on BitChute. I still have my Pokemon uninstalled. And I've stopped playing games. I haven't found any time to work on my math stuff yet. I'm even afraid of opening up my emails from the uh, teacher. So my son, he's a month old now, and he's gotten really big, and he's starting to grab things and curl his toes. We play a little game. We play a little game where I grab his feet and pull on them, tug on them. He's been responding to that, and he's smiling at me and looking at me. So it's really beautiful. It's a smile that will melt your heart. It will melt your heart. So what else is new? I've been checking out housing prices, because I heard about the eviction moratorium and the little Bambi. I found um, that my house has doubled in price, estimated value. My mom's house as well. Oh, two Bambi. We better stick together, Bambies. Well, they're not Bambi Bambies. They're like teens. What's our actual topic today? Do we have a topic? Adam Curry's like, oh, no one wants to hear about me and why I think. They want to hear the clips. Do I have any clips? Well, I'm listening to this fungus lady, and she's talking about how, how she prepares fungus. And she discovered her own mushroom. Very special fungus called Amanita Galactica. I just felt that I would do a freeform episode today. I just wanted to go for a walk. And I want to let you guys, my listeners, know what's going on. But I'm still here. And that I feel like putting more effort into my show notes and my blog and actually reading some of these papers is interesting and preparing, preparing some notes and actually reading what other people have written. Going into my deep thought mode now. But when I see these houses, all I can think about is Topeka, Kansas and these fungal growth that every house is just waiting to be eaten by the fungus we fight it off for a while we fight it off for a while but eventually the fungus is going to win and it's going to eat the house every single one of them i saw the most amazing mansion over in berkeley square section of trenton near governor street one of the most beautiful mansions three hundred thousand dollars this thing would have been worth millions and millions and millions in North Jersey. And I attribute that to the gun violence. So last year in Trenton, 40 people were murdered. And this year, 15 or 16 have been murdered. So probably less. It's a really beautiful evening out. Everyone's chilling outside. 
It's not that hot at all. So what I wanted to tell you was about this alfalfa. So the lady had a table, and they were talking about using Roundup and sowing, but planting covering crops. <clears throat> and the covering crops would reduce the temperature of the soil. And they showed pictures of plants growing on the edge of a cornfield, and how those, the plants in the cornfield, were droughted out. But the ones growing on the edge next to cover crops survived because they had the mycorrhizal network and plants will exchange with each other nutrients and if you plant interplant between the, the corn even I guess alfalfa or clover I think it was the carbon to nitrogen ratios the corn had the worst and it wouldn't break down at all but if you interplant it with a with the fungus producing items like alfalfa then it'll break down 20 times faster and you don't need to till it. Really interesting results. And people are even selling mycorrhizal fungus. And there's an airplane. 400 different species that are all specialized. And I would say there's probably a lot, lot more than we even know about. Another thing is that brassicas don't have the symbiosis, they say. But they also use them as a cover crop. So I still need to do some more research. So very interesting topics. So my dad was saying how the city took out a bunch of his dirt. I should also tell them they had to replace not only the dirt, but also the mycorrhizal networks that were there. They take years to cultivate, and if you till the ground one time, you can destroy them. And the fungus is very susceptible to high temperatures. That's why you need to have it covered. You need to have complete ground cover. You can't have any exposed dirt. So where do you get thoughts from? Someone was saying there's two ways to do it. One is from inside, from psychedelic experiences from mushrooms. And the other one is from outside, from feedback. So complex systems are based on feedback, but what if the internal feedback is not so internal after all? If the trees, before they die, send out the nutrients through the microrhizome network, what if humans, before they die, send out their minds through the fungus network or through writing codes and symbols? And those codes and symbols are like the spores they're like the spores of the fungus that are sent out. We've talked about that a couple of times. Now, I was thinking today, trying to make a model of the world, and I was thinking about science, physics, chemistry, matter, and how biology is built on all of that. Chemistry is actually built on physics, and life is built on chemistry. Dennis McKenna says that plants speak to each other through chemistry, through symbols, biosemiotics. And what's the difference between life and non-living? Is it the complex systems that respond to feedback? And where does mathematics fit in? Mathematics can exist without life, in theory. All of the symbols could be represented and processed without life, I suppose. But what would create them? Yes, mathematical structures can exist on their own, but they don't seem to make sense without something to create them. Something alive, something intelligent or purposeful. Or is that just prejudice? And if life was created from nothing, from non-life, how did that work? We think that life can spontaneously evolve from non-life. Or was there life there to begin with? So this whole idea that life can spontaneously emerge from non-life, I find that complexity can arise from non-complexity. I find very strange. Maybe the simplest answer is that time does not travel forward, but life creates itself in the past that given infinite possibilities that it might emerge, 
It's just a question of once it emerges, could it find any other life that has also emerged in its own universe? What's the chance of it having having it emerged twice? So my model is that of, let's say, a multiverse or infinite possibilities or all possibilities churning that God has no problem in crunching all the numbers and exploring all the possibilities. And in that sea of infinite possibilities, yes, life and all types of life will exist because they all exist in the sea of combinatorics. It's just a question, what do you do with it when you find it? And is it self-aware or is it just random? And um, once it establishes itself, can it propagate itself over time or back in time to other places? So maybe pockets of probability, probabilistic waves of experiencing things, that things are not as straightforward as we think. Not as straightforward as we think. That's the message. And even the experiencing of something is an event which is also probabilistic. So you have the chance of the event happening and then you have the chance of you experiencing that event. And I guess you have the chance of you being aware of you experiencing that event and so forth and so forth. And the awareness of the awareness and an ever-increasing, ever-decreasing probability of awareness, which is why we don't have a feedback loop all the time. When I was a kid, I had this awareness of awareness and this infinite loop. It drove me crazy. It was like when you hook the microphone up to the speakers and you get that feedback line. I had that in my head. That's how I experienced self-awareness. And that is an imprint, a road marker, a road sign. We talked about this as well, the different road markers of enlightenment, becoming aware of your mind, of your life. But I like this idea of the probability and the joint probability. What's the probability of it all happening? Like you walking, you being aware of walking, you being aware of unaware of walking, etc. Just think about those piling up. It's like 7777 jackpot. How often is that going to happen? Now, the lady finding the fungus in the woods. Joint probability. What's the probability of the fungus spawning or finding that fungus? Becoming aware of it, sampling it, successfully recording it carefully, properly following the procedures, quality. So that's an external thing that she's aware of. An external event. And you could think about the probability of different fungi growing in different locations, overlapping with her observations, how that all ties together, how it all fits together, and how discoveries are made, where events coincide with observation, and observation coincides with awareness, the significance of something. Just because you observe it doesn't mean that you're properly aware of its significance, that you could put it into context, that you have the knowledge. Just like me looking at all these numbers, and I can observe interesting effects. I can be aware of those observations, but I'm lacking the knowledge to put them into context. Oh, I talked to Chicken Man. He said he's busy. It's the summer season, the Shotzi season of the Shotzis. All the Kosovars coming from Germany to spend all their money, and he's flat out busy with his restaurant. It's like the summer boom 
where it gets all the money. Time to get the money. I'm taking a new path today, and I have an observation about this Pokemon Go. You know, we talked about the optimal route, the traveling salesman route, as to finding, visiting the most of these stops that were located. So people set these stops. Oh, you hear those frogs? And crickets. This sounds like my growing up. This is what it sounded like when I was a kid. Listen, it's beautiful. Oh, there's a heron. It's too dark. I don't think that picture's going to come out. So, in order for something to have meaning, you need to have the neural network behind it to, to slot it into place. You need to have the experience to assign a meaning back to it. And these plant networks will co-evolve over millions of years with parasitical relationships to take just enough but not too much. Because if they kill off the host, they take too much, then they have less income. And that is also, I think, the relationship between different groups of people where there's a balance of power between the people. A balance of power. So there's a balance of power that occurs between different species co-evolving over millions of years. And I was talking about this blight, this fungus that came from Asia and was killing off all the chestnuts in America and how if it killed off too many, or the other one was killing off too many, that it wouldn't, that it wouldn't work, that it would, uh, they would both die, or it would die, that the fungus would die, or there's also this other plant, some growing vine that would cover these trees and choke them to death, and that lichen, for example, also grows on the bark of trees, but when the rain washes over the lichen, it will give the nutrients to the tree, and that there's a symbiosis going on there. Also, I was looking into hackberry, which is related to marijuana and to hops, which are all in the same family, or genus, I think. But I wonder if they have any, how much genetic material they have in common. Just because the old school systems of classification based upon morphisms or forms, appearances, how much of that is actually based on genetics? What is the genetic species tree and classification system. How much of life has been sequenced? Jocko had a new interview with one of the Gracie clan who was promoting his book. Oh, there's a bat. A bat just flew up to me. It's catching insects. Oh, so today I killed off all of the fruit flies in the house. And I'll tell you how I did it. We always have the problem of where to hang these flypaper strips. So I hung them above the refrigerator so that they wouldn't touch anything. And then I put the bowl of fruit and compost underneath on top of the fridge and I caught all the fruit flies. And all I had to do was just shake the bowl up a little bit and I had to remove all the things that they could perch on around it and they would inevitably perch on the, uh, on the fly paper and I caught them. So I caught a couple hundred fruit flies today. It was pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. I had some intuition about computing and how it relates to life. And I guess it just ties into a record of the awareness, a communication or a symbol representing the fact that an awareness has taken place. I think that's what we can call that, a record. And then once a record's created, then you have awareness of the transmission of a record, which is another level of communication 
and we can get into the seven level system. We can talk about the awareness of the transmission of information, the creating, the creating of symbols, the creating of a podcast, just like now. But I think I've solved the recursive element by using the probability waves of consciousness, because it's not that we're aware of doing something. We have a probability of being aware of doing something. And it's a diminishing probability, a dwindling or logarithmic or something. And that makes everything smooth out. It's no longer in your face. I'm gonna have a hell of a time editing this thing. So we have the awareness of the sending of a record where we'll have less and less information about it. Recursive structures, which are basically going to be like the recording of the records, recording of types, and then eventually it's gonna get down to switching of types or comparing of numbers, you see. And that is the ultimate final expression in math, the girdleization of a number where you're just comparing and encoding and switching based on numbers. Let's say low-level encoding. We're like, is it this? No. Is it this? No. And the ordering of those checks into the right, with the jumps, doing jumps into the right position, but somehow comparing of attributes and features in the right order. So what is the most probable thing to happen based upon your knowledge? What's the order of probability to decode something based upon your knowledge or skills? And Vlad, Vlad said, when God speaks, he speaks math. Math is language which use God. And that the only thing that matters is the pure probability function. What's the probability of something happening? What's the probability of two things happening? Them happening at the same time. Those are the measurements. I guess it's the binomial. And this is where I always land when trying to understand statistical modeling. What are the probability of two attributes occurring together, having the same value, having different values of two values occurring? What are the important measurements to look for? Like of all the different attributes, which ones are the most significant in creating a tree or creating some kind of some kind of hierarchy, decision tree to quickly classify? And there's so many different ways you could look at things and how much time to do. There's raccoons. There's a raccoon family. One raccoon, two raccoons. They're just running around here on this guy's yard. Three raccoons. Now this lady on the Tim Ferriss show was talking about these displaced foxes. We were measuring how the foxes were being displaced due to logging of native forests. And I think that this new construction that they've done, Ewing Town Center has displaced foxes. That's why I'm seeing them running around because they're missing their old habitat. They've destroyed the habitat of these animals and that's why they're acting weird. I wonder, um, you know, what did they do to study and deal with these foxes, you know, when they planned that city section? How are they going to deal with the displacement of these animals and the wildlife? What study was done there? Like, who cares about some foxes? Just a bunch of tree huggers lamenting. So I have some inputs to my thoughts. So we can look at different attributes, and we can look at like a statistical model 
of the attribute. I guess a Gaussian distribution, German bell curve, we model it that way. Is it a linear function? It's just some number, some counter, like what's the nature of each attribute? Morphology. Like I have all this information I've collected about the morphologies, but how do we deal with it? Like how do we use this information? So I have this information about the forms and structures of other data, like what fields we have. But can we construct some kind of tree, some kind of class hierarchy from it? Some kind of decision tree that makes any sense at all? Can we create a beautiful structure? And, and this is where I'm gonna get back to my theory, my monster theory, which is simply put, we think all the time that beauty and aesthetics, if the theory is not beautiful, then it can't be true. And I'm gonna just say that beauty and aesthetics makes it popular. And if the theory is not beautiful, then it might not be popular, but it might be true. And that the true nature of the world might not be beautiful, as I said before, like string theory. Boy, these guys are running some huge lights here. Even if we look at, let's just say numbers, and I look at different types of numbers in an application, and we look at the different attributes of a size of number, like min and max, the size, the number of bits, etc. All this information about information about a particular number type or a particular number variable. I'll just say the number types to be. And honestly, if I take a mathematical view of things, all types can be expressed as numeric types. Even the largest thing on the computer, the entire operating system, could be expressed, let's say, as some number some variable length numeric type with lots of moving parts to it. It has a size, a definite size. Even if it's a file system, it has a definite size. So I think we're getting into, I think we're really getting into the world of, well, let's say, recursive data structures, variable length, multifaceted data structures, but all resolving down to some, some size, some kind of structure. And even if that structure is responsive to how it's used, and we don't know how it's going to be used, and this is going to get into the question of awareness of awareness of awareness, right? So how much information do we have about how this operating system is going to be used? What's the probability of it changing? If we ran it twice with the same inputs, how much do we know? Reproducible builds, and then feeding that information back into compilation into the code like what if you were to do it manually what would it look like how much information do we need to store well we saw we have jumps and jump paths what's the probability of a jump path happening we have data structures what's the probability of a field having a value we talked about that how much of the information can we compile and collect and know so this is really getting into the crux of the problem if everything is dependent upon the data, and that the data could be a program that's a program as a program, Turing machine, and let's just say it's an infinite stack of Turing machines. So every input to every program is a Turing machine, and the input to that Turing machine is a Turing machine. Okay? So now we know what the inputs are. We know that they're Turing machines. The feedback from the outside is going to be a control structure. And that control structure is going to be controlled by another control structure and another and another and another all the way up and when does it stop i guess it'll stop 
at some kind of human consciousness. That will be the final ending point where some malicious attacker is controlling this chain of structures. Some user and they're looking to exploit and gain more and more control over resources exposed. Control, control, control. So that's going to be something to think about. So how does that work? Input being read in contains a program that's switched upon and implements a Turing machine, which then reads in input that's switched upon that creates a Turing machine. So every layer has a more and more complicated system where the inputs will be more and more spread out and convoluted and could be literally doing anything. That's some deep thought. And does that mean that our awareness, our mind, is effectively creating more Turing machines based on this input through these things? And how much of it's interactive? How much of that input is coming from a user directly, or from a file? And the user could do anything, they could input any inputs. So what are the inputs? What are the data types? What are the ranges? What's the validation? And again, that is information from the compiler. So can I use the compiler, feed it data types, and have it spit out these nodes, and have those nodes be encoded into numbers, and feed them into the program for the 3D math as instructions? So like the first set of instructions are what are the different inputs, what are the different data types, and there's gonna be a lot of show notes. Might take a while to do. You know, I might even just re release it in pieces. Like, why do I have to, uh, why do I have to release it all at once? Why can't I take three days of edit and release three different episodes from one recording set? Why don't I just release it piece by piece? Stretch it out, make uh, videos from it with all types of information. So infinite Turing recursion, all leading up to a human who's injecting more and more layers of recursion on, on top of it. So the hacker, who's just thinking in terms of exploiting, and in the end, the hacker is just trying to gain control of more and more resources and expand that control over more and more. What are the things available to him? What can he manipulate? So control of resource. And in the end, the exploiter is trying to gain statistical knowledge and find the tightest most compact representation or gain control of the most things. I mean, what is the intent of the exploiter? I guess it's to create more stacks of infinite machines, we said. So in the end, we could say that the, the exploiter is going to evaluate how to add another layer of a machine using the resources available and to build another layer and feed that as an input. So we said that was the uh, final result. But it's just one definition to explore. I need to look who has done this before as well. So what was I saying about Pokemon? And maybe I have to edit those pieces together. Like if I jump between topics, maybe I should listen to the topics and edit the different pieces together to create maybe an episode on just the Pokemon topics. So my thought was, well, first of all, there's a certain bias in the picking of these spots. A certain class of people who are consuming large amounts of resources, luxury items. So maybe it's a status symbol of a certain degree of richness, saying, oh, I have a Pokestop. I have the ability to do it. I have 
some portal, I've reached some level, and there's a certain cultural bias embedded in that, where the rich people have more pokey stops than the poor people. Then you have to create a certain route to visit those stops to get the most points, and that controls your behavior. So your behavior is being controlled by the people with the most resources to waste on this, basically guiding you to what they chose. And those spots that they chose were also cultural status symbols or needs, the bridge even, which is not only a status symbol, it's some fancy bridge, but it's also to cross or connect or open up an area to more exploitation. But it really um, guides the behavior of other people where these stops are located. And they put them inside of restaurants, sponsored places, and they will increase the ability of people going to those locations. And they're collecting all this information on the behavior of those people, which can target them for other advertising. So it's really breaking the mold and it's injecting another layer of control dynamically, changing over time. Well, and that's kind of like you're solving a problem. You're solving this traveling salesman problem, which involves visiting these points. And you could calculate the best route based upon the parameters, which way to walk, which ones to visit in what order. And also they refresh after a certain times. So you create loops. Where I created a loop, I would walk in a certain circle and come back and visit the same spot again after a certain time. And you need to put enough stops in there, but then you look like a crazy person doing that, trying to get those points. For what purpose? Now we don't know what all can be done. We don't know what actually is happening with this game. But the fact that they're collecting your health data offline and they're incentivizing that should tell you something. Yeah, so maybe I can collect recordings instead of releasing them all at once. I can release them bit by bit, or create little segments, or remixes for a topic. Why does the timing of my podcast have to be that of my walk and how I record it? If I'm editing it, I can reorganize it, as I said, in any way I want. I should uh, start reviewing and subscribing to all of the podcasts that are listeners of the No Agenda Show. Because it seems that every listener has his own podcast now, especially me. Feed the fungus, 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 fe